joy to many people so that they would return, that you go out of your way to save us, that you would go so far as to save somebody like Paul who killed and persecuted your, your children because of your mercy, because of your love. Lord, may that same mercy reach deep into our hearts this morning. May, Lord, we actually rise with those healing wings and may we be a testimony of how beautiful and amazing your grace is and what a joy it is to have you welcome us back. We praise you, Lord Jesus. We ask for this gift this morning. Amen. May be seated. We're uh, entering into a season of... Um, I would say it's the finishing up of the summertime, which is sometimes in the church called ordinary time. And whenever I hear the word ordinary, I think boring. You know, like, oh, that's just ordinary stuff. And, uh, and yet the church didn't understand it that way. The, the ordinary time for the church was like, look, the way life is normally supposed to be is it's supposed to be a growing season. And so in Pentecost, you have a growing season. And that's ordinary. It's really meant to be the case that your life is a growing experience. It's a transforming experience because a lot of times there's things that are wrong, probably even wrong things that are growing, like weeds, right? So you have to do some weeding. But it's about growing. And um, I wanted to enter into this final, uh, you know, sort of chapter of the growing season. Here we are in September, right? A lot of times we think, okay, now it's time to kick it into gear. And the world is demanding that we do so. We're back in school and a lot of... Um, I don't know, it's a mixed bag. Some of us really were glad to be back in school and I know a few of us were not. And, um, but it's revving up the engines, the demand is rising. And a lot of our work programs, it's the same way. It's like, okay, now start budgeting for next year. And boy, you better make sure you bring in everything this year. So there's a lot of pressure that's rising and I, I often feel it, I often see it in us and in the other churches that I get to go to every once in a while is that kind of intensity. And then I see also like, um, you know, how we react to that. Like a lot of times we are like, oh man, I gotta make this better. And we scramble and we do stuff that actually makes it worse, you know. And then I see that we get exhausted. And then I see that there's loneliness. And then I see that there's bitterness and then there's disappointment. And you know, I see it in my own life too sometimes. Like in the ordinary rush of life, especially in the Western world, these kinds of things happen. And the greater the responsibility, a lot of times we feel like it's all on my shoulders and I've got to do this. I've got to, I've got to fix myself maybe or I've got to get what I need by my own hand. And it just becomes this desperate, crushing experience. And it gets heavy and it can weigh you down. And man, do I, I see that a lot in our culture. People that are weighed down and they're heavy and there's things that are going on in their hearts that they can't make sense of. And they're shocked at what they have done even in their own lives to try and make do in this kind of a context. Like, why would I be so mean to that person? You know, I'm in school now and I can't get enough sleep. Why was I so grumpy at mom and dad? You know, or why was I so impatient with my spouse? And we're kind of shocked at it, but we shouldn't be. Because part of the ordinary experience of life is we need a continuous renewal of grace. Because actually this world is too hard for us. And even the things that God calls us to are too hard for us unless by some 
gift of his grace, by some gift of his spirit, we're able to be who we're supposed to be. We're able to be who we really are. I feel like that's the promise that the Lord has for us this morning, is he wants us to really enter back into this season of growth and to do so by following David in this practice of repentance. We don't often read Psalm 51 in this time of year. When does it normally come up? Do you guys remember? It's, it's in, in Lent, yeah. Yeah, and that's when we beat our hearts and, and we get serious about repentance. And boy, do we get serious sometimes. We get very, very sober. And that's a good thing if you understand what sobriety really means. But usually what we think sobriety means is it's no more fun. Like I can't get drunk anymore. <laughs> that doesn't sound fun to people in Wisconsin. Um, you know, but that's really not what sobriety means. And it doesn't mean joy killing. It doesn't mean deprivation. I think that's one of the great lies of the culture is that sin is fun. So we say when we're young, let's, I want to sow my wild oats. Even Augustine said, well, I, I, I want to repent, but not yet. And he became a saint later, thank God. So there's hope for all of us even if, if we delay. But we think sin is fun. And that's a huge lie. It's, um, it's this idea, I remember that the, there was a group called the Talking Heads, David Byrne was the leader of that group, and he had this terrible, terrible song. It was called, Heaven is a Place Where Nothing Happens. I can't remember the title of the song, but that's what, that was the main lyric, I remember that. And kind of in this monotone voice, he's saying, Heaven is a place where nothing happens. And that's absolutely the, the, the biggest lie of all. Because heaven is a place where there's so much life. It's an abundant life experience. It's an unending, eternal experience of living streams that are so wonderful and so refreshing and leaves that can heal you and keep you strong. It's not a place of condemnation. It's a place of life. And I think what we don't understand about repentance that I, I, I think David is actually showing us here, if we can get it, if we can somehow receive it, is that repentance is actually about transformation. And so it's, it's an incredibly good thing. It doesn't mean we don't take sin seriously. It just means that really good things are in store for us if we can enter into a rhythm of repentance. Like in our ordinary life, on a daily basis, enter into this. This sort of thing is built into our service, by the way. It's, a, it's, um, it's on a regular basis, we're doing what? Confession. We do it all the time. And it's not just because we, we're self-hating, like, and we hate life. It's actually because we want life if we enter into it in the way that the Lord means for it to be. And that there's this incredible joy, it's the most exquisite joy of all that he wants for us, and it's the joy of abundant life. The truth is that our desires have been too small, and like David, and we'll get into what he did, our desires have been for things that are really not for us, and therefore they're, they really disturb our souls. They mess with us. And when your soul's disturbed, you become an agent of disturbance in other people's life. And that's what was going on with David. And it was messing with the kingdom. This man who was supposed to be a good shepherd, he was truly the chief of sinners. That's how Paul refers to himself. He was the chief of sinners. And it brings conviction to me as a pastor because a pastor is also a shepherd, right? And man, there's this, this, this reality that I need the Lord to deal with me and the stuff that's in my heart because if I don't get that stuff that's disturbing in my heart, then it's gonna disturb you. And that's true of all of us though. If we don't have the Lord deal with the disturbances in our heart, 
that's gonna disturb other people. But if we do let him deal with that, then we can be people of joy. And isn't joy contagious? Yeah, it's like the most contagious, wonderful thing. I like to be around people who are joyful. Our bishop is a joyful person, isn't he? Those of us who know him. He's gonna come next week. So if you wanna see what joy is like in action, come next week and and meet our bishop. He's gonna do a talk on prayer too because he wanted to do something along the same lines. This is a specific kind of prayer, repentance prayer. But he wants to talk about prayer because of joy. And he can communicate joy because he's entered into it. So this prayer this morning, it's really not about this weird thing like this idea of we're bad or we have to morally improve ourselves. It's really much more like, wait a minute, Jesus loves us. He like is casting his floodlight of love into the world to seek us out. Like that lost sheep, that's you, that's me. It's his eyes looking for us. He's looking for our true hearts so that he can pull us back into relationship with him. That's his real heart for us. And all that repentance is, is getting in touch with that heart and receiving that heart, that heart of love for you that is relentless, and it will defy the world that is full of blame and judgment, by the way. You know, it's, go- it's going to, he is determined to bring you mercy and grace, despite what the Pharisees are gonna say. Like, oh, you don't deserve this grace. And that's where the enemy's often telling us, you don't deserve it. But he's saying, no, actually, you do deserve it because I said you do, and I see you for who you truly are. You forgot who you are. You are not the person who's tried to live off sinful ways. You're actually the person who's, who's mine, and I love you like my own. The only way we can do this, friends, is through the Holy Spirit. And so right in the middle of our psalm, I think it was at 10, 11, and 12, there's three prayers to the Holy Spirit. There's, uh, by the way, there's 21 requests all in all in, in throughout the psalm. But there's three central requests in the middle of the psalm for the Holy Spirit. And we're gonna be looking at those this morning. But the thing I wanted to point out here is that this is a really, this is like, David's really getting at total transformation. Not just like a little bit of a change around the edges of your life. This isn't, like I said, self-improvement. This is transformation. And so the 21 is, it's three times seven, and seven's the complete number. This is about total transformation. And we can have that in Jesus, in the spirit. So what's the background? I think it's useful to remind ourselves of what the background of, of this psalm. This is when David has been confronted by Nathan, who's the prophet of Israel. And Nathan brings this Holy Spirit-inspired word because if you're a prophet, your inspiration comes from the Holy Spirit, provided you're a prophet of God, because there are other spirits out there, right? But Nathan was a holy man, and the Holy Spirit came upon him and revealed to him that what was going wrong in the kingdom really had to do with David's heart. And David's heart, which amazingly later on is called a heart after God's own, was really corrupted. It was really bad. He was way off center, way, way outside of who he really was. And um, Nathan brings this word in the form of a parable to a man who was a shepherd and now thinks of himself as a shepherd of Israel. And he says, you know, there's this guy, he had a lamb and then um, this other person stole that lamb and then, and he basically appeals to the heart of David as a shepherd. David's got a real tender spot for sheep. 
because he took care of a lot of sheep. And he defended them against bears and lions, like really ravenous, dangerous, predatory beasts out there. And so he's so mad at the story about this guy who stole somebody else's lamb, and he had tons of lambs. He's so mad about that, that um, all of a sudden, he's in touch with who he truly is. Nathan is actually tapped in to the truth of who David is. Isn't that interesting? Because then the next thing he does, he turns the tables on David. He had to turn the tables on David because David had done exactly that. David had seen, um, he went on the roof up of the roof of his palace and he'd seen this beautiful woman across the way. She was bathing and he lusted after her and then he had relations with her and then he tried to hide it by having her husband killed. And then she became um, pregnant with their child. I mean, he, this is an incredible betrayal of who David really is and who he's supposed to be in the Lord. Incredible betrayal. He's really disturbed. He might even have actually have split this off from himself because it's so really alien to who David actually is. David was anointed to be a good shepherd. But right now, he's a, a lustful, adulterous murderer who's ruining the atmosphere of the kingdom. And that's, that's horrible. He's pre- he is the predator. It wasn't bears and lions in this situation. He was the predator. And I think one of the things that you realize is that, man, when, when sin takes over, it's not, it's not just like, okay, I'm just taking care of myself kind of thing. So I'm sure that's what David in his own mind was saying, well, I'm just getting a little bit of the good life. But that, that's not what happens, is it? It's actually really destructive. And um, he begins to realize that he was not a good man. What I love about this is that he does become the man who's called after God's own heart. And, you know, just Paul, he's saying it quite clearly. I I was a terrible persecutor of the church, and I'm the chief of sinners, but now we know him as the great apostle St. Paul, who spread the word far and wide. And he talked about grace, and his his message of grace is so, so deep. And so I I guess the first thing I want to say to you is it doesn't really, really, folks, it doesn't, no matter what is disturbing your heart, there is no way his mercy can't touch that. There's no way his mercy can't touch that. But I do want you to let the Lord touch that because he's coming not with just condemnation. He's not just fault finding. He's actually truth finding. I mean, he's finding you for you. He's actually finding you for you so that you can return to him and really be yourself. And, and he will, he's gonna go after sin, sometimes I think one of the issues with sin is it's just so deeply ingrained with us and it's such a pattern like I can never have this dealt with. This is kind of like addiction, right? Addiction, you remember, is when you're doing something for a short-term benefit that has really destructive long-term consequences and you can't stop it. And, and David is even saying, like, there's something so wrong with his heart. Like, he can't figure it out. It's so deep in his heart that he says, this was probably woven into me in my mother's womb. That's how deep it is. It was beyond his ability to see it. He had to have God bring a word. He had to have God say, this is what's disturbing your heart, and I'm here to heal it. So I think what I want to say to you before we even get into the three prayers is that it doesn't matter what the disturbance is in your soul. Let the Lord deal with that disturbance. What is that disturbance in your life? 
There's an incredible message of grace so that your heart can be restored. And, and it's because he's merciful. The way David appeals to God is he appeals to uh, the Lord's compassion. And it's a beautiful word in the Hebrew. It's um, this idea, it's, it's the love and affection for a mother who's carried a child in her womb. It comes from the womb of God. You know, that, that incredible affection, that love, that tenderness that a mother has for her own child, that's the depth of the love of the Lord for you. And it is relentless. You know, like if, if your child goes off and does terrible things, a mother's heart is always gonna love that child unless something's broken in her. And that's, that's just a, a metaphor for how insistent the Lord's love is. And that's why you can trust the things that he is doing here for this transformation. So David creates this, um, this prayer, but all of it comes out of the Lord's compassion. So he could be confident, like a mother hen gathering her chicks under her wings, right? That's, that's how Jesus puts it. That's how strong the compassion is. I have a, a memory of a, of a, a woman in my life, her name, is, her name was Leanne Payne. She was an incredible minister of healing, very strong in the prophetic. And she, was, she had a ministry, she was known for dealing with pretty serious sin and like habitual sin in people's lives, like sexual sin that had been a pattern forever in somebody's life. And you'd think, well, that's like in our day and age, that's not cool, that's definitely not politically correct. But she was there doing it. And the reason her ministry was so beautiful and powerful is because when she said these words of truth, it was like David, David, you know, hearing from Nathan, it was appealing to the truth of who we were. Like a mother who really loves their daughter or their son. And I felt her compassion so often. But one of the things, and, and so the Lord used her mightily. She's full of the Holy Spirit. But one of the things she always prayed was, come Holy Spirit. And, and, and really, if there's one prayer that we can learn today for repentance, it's come Holy Spirit. And she would start off all of her prayers and all of her conferences, and then regularly throughout the conferences, throughout a week-long conference, she would say, come Holy Spirit. And, and her love and, the, and the, the vibrations of her being would just radiate with the Holy Spirit and the love of the Lord. And it would penetrate into hearts so that we could actually say, you know what, I'm gonna trust the Lord for this stuff. Wow, it was so beautiful. And, um, and David's taking us into that kind of a prayer. It's a, it's a threefold request for the Spirit. And the, th- the first one, I, I can't turn my page here. Is it verse 10? the first prayer to the, for the Holy Spirit. It's actually 12, okay. Oh no, I was right, it's, it's 11. I was still wrong, but it's 11. <laughs> Created me a clean heart, O oh God, and renew a right spirit within me is the first prayer. What's, um, what's going on here at this point? The entire prayer up to this point has been for really the creation of a clean heart. I think if there's one thing that weighs you down, it's like, man, I'm really, I've got something that's weighing on my conscience. It's wrong. And when you feel wrong, you're heavy. And when you feel clean, you feel light. I mean, if you're really, really muddy and yucky, you know, you just, I, I can't even move that well. But when I take a shower, I feel a lot more sprightly. And um, in a way, he's saying, I want you to deal with this part in me, Lord, the heart, which is where things get decided. It's where I choose to do stuff. And he chose to sleep with Bathsheba. But I want you so to deal with it that I get this freedom back. 
And then I want you not just to clean my heart, this, this place where all of my motivations come from. I want you to renew a right spirit within me. So what, what happened is that he had a wrong spirit in his heart. It was a disturbed heart. And he needed a right spirit put in. And it has a particular meaning here. It actually means that he was really unfaithful to God and to himself. And he's asking for the spirit of God to come into him such a way that he could actually be faithful. So he's, again, he's saying that part of you, like I just can't stop from doing this. It's like an addiction. He's saying, Lord, bring your spirit in such a way that I can live into the truth of who I am. so that I can be who you made me to be. And it's about this relationship. It's also an appeal from humility. Um, he's crying for the Lord, not just, not just to fix him, because it's deeper than that. He's asking to like, take him back to his heart, to take him back into relationship. And it's it's this longing that he's starting to tap into, like, I'm just not right, Lord. I don't even know what it is. And I think that's a good way to start a lot of times. I don't know exactly where it came from. It seems like this has been with me for a long time, and I need you to cleanse the heart at the, de- at the depths, Lord. Like, I, it needs to come up in me like a spring, like water that rushes up, like living water that rushes up from deep within. That's where it's got to come from, Lord. And um, it's, kind of, it's kind of like getting in that place where I'm no longer judging. I have to let him do the work. I I need to let him move. I need to let him spring up something in me. David has this beautiful expression in in one of his later Psalms. It's it's like truth, truth and mercy have kissed each other. Like truth is sprung up like a, a plant and righteousness has then looked down, meaning that God sees you as his own again and you're really set right and this, this thing is, is, is that he's asking for is that like something come up in him that is the truth of who he is and it just start to grow. Because it's not about a fix. You know, um, if you start to judge your own heart, then you're, you're, a lot of times you're, you're just doing the same thing that our culture does all the time. It's blaming and shaming. And a lot of times we do that internally too. And that's a lot of, I would say that, that most of the time that's gonna be satanic satanic because it's accusation. It's the voice of the accuser. This is so different the way that the Lord does it with Nathan. Is he actually sees who David really is and he reminds him of who he actually really is. That's who's being saved here. But that means that you have to deal with the fact that you actually have sinned and not been true to yourself. And Jesus really loves the way of humility, this p- prayer for a clean heart because he loves to answer it. And when you know you're dirty, you need to get clean. You can't pretend it away. So there's a real serious issue here, and this is how you do it. Appeal for the Lord to bring about this healing. It's like the publican, right? This man who beats his, beats his heart and says, uh, I'm a sinner. I don't even deserve to be related to you. Versus the, the Pharisee who says, I'm pretty good. I'm certainly better than everybody else. And what this prayer is, is like, you know what? There's something not right within me, Lord. So I need you to clean it at the depths. I think um, probably one of the prime examples of how this happens is that you've got Peter. Peter is a guy who Jesus understood to be a rock. He calls him the rock. 
And then Peter makes a declaration, I'm gonna be faithful to you. Everybody else can run away, but I'm not gonna. But in fact, he does run away. So we could call him Mr. Flimsy. He wasn't faithful. He wasn't able to have that right, faithful spirit. And um, Jesus, after his third denial, he had predicted that he was gonna betray the Lord with these denials. He looks at Jesus, at Peter. He looks at him, and then Peter cries. It's really intense. He realized he had betrayed the Lord by not being himself. And Jesus looks for who we really are. And when he looks and holds us in his gaze, he says, I know you, you're my, you're my daughter. You're my son. And especially when we've tried to get the quick, quick fix and we're, you know, like Peter, he's preserving himself under pressure. I'm just not gonna be okay. I've gotta do this. I have to, you know, I'm tired, I'm anxious, I'm lonely, I've gotta do this. And Jesus looks for the real you, even in those situations, to bring us back to who we truly are. He wants to clean us right there at the roots. Um, you could compare this prayer for the Holy Spirit, the right spirit, to a reminder of your baptism. Remember that picture of, um, in the New Testament, the, the first reference to the Holy Spirit is when he descends upon Jesus in the form of a dove. And then the father sees him and looks at him and says, this is my son in whom I'm well pleased. I see you. You're my son. I'm pleased with you. And when we get baptized into Jesus, that's how he sees you and is remembering the integrity of who you are so that you can be firm and right in that identity. Eventually, Peter became pretty, pretty amazingly, unflinchingly faithful and courageous. That uh, he, he calls it the morning star had risen in his heart. Like his unfaithful heart had been cleansed because the resurrection light had come into it. And you, and he, um, and he has that as a, as a gift for us as well. I think sometimes um, it's not fear, it might be anger. Like uh, Peter's, Peter was dealing with fear and so he wasn't true to himself. Sometimes it's anger. Like I'm so mad at the way things are and you take it out on other people and there's like an impulse of anger and you can't control the anger. And, um, and Jesus said to James and John when they were upset with a bunch of folks for not responding to Jesus, their idea of being a Christian was, shall we call down lightning from heaven to strike them? It was an impulse of anger. And Jesus said, Jesus said you, don't, you don't even know what spirit you are. This is a right spirit that I'm calling into your heart. And David's teaching us how to pray this way. And it's like um, he's asking for the truth of who we are to spring up. And in his own heart, of course, he was dealing with lust, especially. A covetous lust. But now he's asking for the truth of who he is to be restored in God. The second prayer is, um, it's a little different. It says, cast me not away from your presence. Take not your Holy Spirit from me. This idea of casting away is, it's kind of like, like you, you're, when you're a real believer, you actually know Jesus and you're in connection with him and you can worship him. And in Israel, you could actually come to temple and worship him. And when you fell away, he's like, he's like flinging you away. And that happened a lot of time in the history of Israel. But he's saying, don't, don't let me come away from your presence. Don't throw me away. Take not the Holy, your Holy Spirit from me. That Holy Spirit who comes down, descends upon the temple, 
communicate in the presence of God. Don't take it away from me. And um, it's kind of like the, um, the second time that we see the Holy Spirit particularly referred to in the New Testament is when Jesus comes into the disciples and they're alone and afraid, get gathered in the upper room, and he brings peace and he breathes on them. The Holy Spirit is the life-giving spirit. The Holy Spirit is the one who causes you to grow. It's the presence of God that makes you to grow. The Holy Spirit breath, the life breath. If you have the spirit within you, you have life. Life is in the breath and he's breathing into them and he says, my peace I give you. Not as this frightening world gives you, but my peace I give you. And then he says, I want you to share that same peace. So what this is, is like it's the beginning of a peace that is like, I'm good now if I'm back with you, Lord. I'm good if I'm in your presence. I was away and you've cleaned me. You've set me firmly back into the truth of who I am and now you've given me your presence. And when I have your presence and I'm relating to the living presence of God and you're breathing life into me continuously and I'm breathing your life into me continuously, then, then I, I'm no longer gonna run in fear, no longer act out in anger or in lust. And um, in fact, the opposite of that I can grow. It's really, really hard to grow unless you can receive love. It's really hard to grow unless you're in a state of peace. I mean, even plants, when there's all sorts of crazy stuff happening, their growth is impaired. How much more so for human beings? Like, you can't grow if you don't have peace. And this is what the Lord is praying for. David is teaching us to pray for from the Lord is kind of peace, the breath of peace, the breath of shalom. Think about somebody who's having a panic attack. Their eyes are darting everywhere. He's looking for them. He, they can't see him. They have very, very shallow breath. And he's saying, take a deep breath. Let my peace take over your heart and my presence fill your soul so that you can grow again. What happens in growing is you're, is you're expanding. Your life is actually expanding. And you can actually hope again. When you're defensive and you're angry and you're afraid and you feel like I've just got to get a little bit for myself, you can't grow. But when he comes with peace, then he awakens you a prayer for growth and a way of growing. There's um, following that, this beautiful time for 10 days where they pray for the spirit to come. It's a day, these are times of growing in prayer. There's a longing that he reawakens in your heart. And it's a beautiful prayer. It's a sense of like soon, soon the things that I really need to have in life, the growing things of life are coming and they're gonna come in a big way. And Jesus actually says, I want you to pray that way. I've breathed my peace into you and now I want you to pray for a fullness of it, a completion of it, a joy. So this is what he's talking about when he's saying, don't take me out of your presence, don't fling me from your presence, but give the Holy Spirit of life and peace to me so that I can pray. We saw a show this week, it was um, called The Band's Visit. It's a Broadway show, it's a beautiful show. And in it, the entire theme of the show is just longing to reconnect and they sing it. They're trying like, to, to find that person that they love and are supposed to love and they, they, they keep on coming back to the, fray, the refrain of soon. Soon he will come. Soon he will be here. And um, that longing, they say that 
You know, what is there without hope? There is no life without hope. There's kind of a song that's emerging here. A lot of this is about song. This is about being sung back into being. David is singing this. This whole psalm is being sung. He's re-enchanting his own heart and our hearts. The last prayer is for the Holy Spirit to restore to him the joy of salvation and to uphold him with an abundant spirit. This is really kind of like Pentecost when the spirit falls in power upon the church and there's an abundance. There's an explosive growth. It's not just a quiet growth in a small room and it's explosive growth. And it's like the garden is taking over the desert. And what's happening there is that these frightened disciples become very, very fruitful in the power of the Spirit. They become uh, people who can bring a word like Nathan full of the Spirit and it brings conviction and then 3,000 people are baptized. And David is singing about this. Restore to me the joy of salvation and uphold me with this abundant spirit. I love the way that's, that's being um, described here. Is that um, when you come to the fullness of the spirit, there's so much joy that it's, it's overflowing. It's abundant. That's how the, the, uh, the Lord often describes the spirit. Is it, it's something, it, it, to experience the spirit in the fullness, like it's shaken down, it's, it's like overflowing. It's so much, it overflows. It's abundant. It pours out through you to others and it creates these relationships that continue to expand. What happened at the beginning of the psalm is that he was disturbed, everybody else was disturbed. What begins to happen now is that he's singing the joy of his salvation and the joy of his salvation becomes like, man, he's the song writer that sings Israel into being. He becomes the ultimate of what does it look like to have a really godly ruler, somebody who sings. What does it look like for us to be really ourselves? It's people who sing. And it's abundant life. It's joy that's contagious. And we have a, a way of participating in this. We've already asked the Lord to come to cleanse our hearts and we'll do so again in the confession. And then um, we'll continue with uh, receiving the peace of the Lord and the, the feeding that happens in the upper room. He eats with them as he communicates life and peace and hope. And then we can also enter into the joy by continuing to sing and then sharing that with others. The way that the psalm ends is that this abundance returns David to who he really is. He's he's meant to be not a predator but a provider. Meant to be not a predator but a protector. He's meant to actually go out and, and, and help others who are like him, sinners, to learn how to repent and to come back to this true hearted place. Man, I, I, my prayer for us is that we would enter into this rhythm of repentance and that we would, we would love this way so much that it would be like life to us, that it would be uplifting to heavy hearts, that we really would rise with wings, uh, like on his wings, that we would have so much peace that we could actually grow in prayer and that we would then have so much joy that we could with our lives, sing a song that re-enchants other people. Let's pray. Lord, um, in the difficulty of life, in the trouble of life that happens in the world, but even more so that happens in our own hearts, 
you um, insist upon loving us. You insist upon spreading mercy into all of these very raw and difficult places. Lord, uh, whether we're in school and upset or we're fighting a lot and I don't know what the disturbance is, Lord. You know what it is. Fear, anger, lust. Lord, would you work in the inner places of our heart with your with your cleansing water? Would you work in the places of disturbance and bring peace? And would you give us a song of salvation and joy, Lord, this morning, so that we could spread not disturbance, but 